0: For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Maybe you've seen um, Tom Rainer, the former director of LifeWay. Maybe you've seen his book, Autopsy of a deceased church. It sounds like a depressing read, and in some ways it is a depressing read, but it's short. But the purpose of the book is not to uh, look down on these churches that have had struggles. And what he did in the book was he went to seven or 10 churches that had closed their doors, uh, kind of audited what happened, what went on, what were the attitudes, and he came up with 10 or 12 things that were sort of patterns across these churches that had died, that had closed their doors. And in every instance, there is one overarching theme that sort of takes over. No matter which category, which subject, subject it is, one theme takes over that becomes very apparent in the death of each of these churches. And that is an inward turn. Whether it's in their programs, the spending of their money, the activities, the ministries, the relationship building... These churches all at some point took an inward turn and failed to look out. Remember last week I talked about this. The church can become a fortress. We set walls up around ourselves, around our families, around our homes, around our ministries, around our Sunday school classes, around our small groups. And if we're not careful, we can look around and we've built those fortress walls around our very church so that people cannot come in. Again, whatever challenges we've been through as a church, maybe we have had to circle the wagons in the past as staff and as a church, whatever it is. And rhythms have been established. Programs have been etched into stone. And somewhere in our minds, maybe we've concluded that no one ever is going to come and change anything. And with these churches that Tom Rainer then interviewed after the fact they closed their doors, there was an obsession, an obsession with themselves. And as that obsession took over and they began to turn ever more inward, they marched ever closer and inevitably to death. The Great Commission that you all know, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Ms. Pam read part of that for us this morning in her scripture reading, to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to teach them whatever Jesus has commanded us, and then we have his promise that he'll be with us to the end of the age. The commission, the mission of the church from the very beginning was a mission to go. And any time that mission has been lost by a local church, by a denomination, by a religious movement, any time that that mission has been lost, there's not just a loss of vision in the church. There's not just a loss of growth. But there is an inevitable, maybe slow, maybe generations long, but certain death. I want us to look at another account of the Great Commission this morning in Acts chapter 1. Read this back a couple times. Uh, in my time here, and it's one I often refer to, especially Acts 1, 8. But let's look at Acts 1, starting in verse 6, and we'll read to verse 8. This is after Jesus has been crucified, risen from the dead. He's about to ascend. And in verse 6, as he's about to go up, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, I want you to notice the direction. Think about what happened in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus said, Go. And that's duplicated here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, whether you realize it or not, because the direction that Jesus sends them is out. There's Jerusalem, home, Judea, home region. Then there's Samaria, the other side of the railroad tracks. And then there's the ends of the earth. That means the entire rest of the world. Now in verse 6 and verse 7, it's interesting, especially in verse 6, we see Jesus is about to ascend. He's done all of his earthly ministry, cross, buried, risen again, and as he's about to go up, his disciples clearly still don't understand what this was all about because what is their preoccupation? With themselves, with the Jews, with Israel, with Jerusalem, they still don't understand the global aspect of this ministry, no matter how many times the prophet said it, we saw it in Isaiah, all the people's. No matter how many times Jesus intimated at it, they never got it. Because here at the very end, they're still asking, what about us? What about the Jews? What about Israel? What about Jerusalem? Is it time for all that? I love how in verse 7, Jesus sort of just dismisses what they're saying, almost cutting them off, interrupting them. It's not for you, Jesus says, to know the times or the seasons that the Father has put in place. What is he saying to them? Your understanding of what the mission is, is radically different than what the actual mission is. And so Jesus cuts them off, puts their mission on hold, and turns them out to the world. Not just the Jews, not just Jerusalem, not just the kingdom of Israel, but taking what started with the Jews, what started with Israel, and then going to the ends of the earth with that message. Now it takes some time, even after the Holy Spirit comes, even after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 Jews are saved on the day of Pentecost. It takes some time for this to gain traction and for them to truly understand that this is still the mission. What does it take? Well, it takes the first martyr, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7. It takes the stoning of this first martyr of the Christian faith and the persecution fires to increase and Saul to go on his rampage against the church what happens for the church to then scatter and as you watch Acts 7 and 8 unfold you see Jesus's words in Acts 1 8 unfold he said you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth and what happens beginning with the fires of persecution they go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria And then by the end of the book of Acts, to the ends of the earth as Paul sets sail to Rome. Maybe some even say ultimately to Spain. The Spirit grows the church. The the fires of the Holy Spirit fan the flames of the church. Evangelism, outreach, proclamation flame the church as they go. As they're going. This outreach problem is just another one of those classic problems In older, established, historic churches, the going tends to become a problem because, in many cases, as we talked about last week, wonderful relationships have been built over generations. Your family has always been here. This is your church. This was your granddaddy's church. I'm not just talking about First Baptist Dumas, but in every church where this applies, relationships have been formed. Ministries have been formed. Task forces, committees have come together to do work and to do ministry together. My Sunday school class, my small group, my ministry, my committee, my group of friends, my people, and we do relationships well, maybe. Maybe a church takes everything we talked about last week and they're doing it well. But as they're building those godly relationships, they're building walls, too. And maybe they're building gates up around themselves and their friends. So that even as they're building up and doing it well, they're failing to reach out. And these two things, as the book of Acts shows us, must go together. That we not only need to build relationships that we talked about last week and disciple one another building up. But as we're building up and being built up, we need to then reach out. And to not do one over the other is to fail in the mission that we've been given. We can do relationships right. We can check the box from last week and still get the mission wrong. We can do our programs and our activities and our schedule right and still get the mission wrong. Listen carefully. We can get our doctrine right and our theology can be all squared away and we could even come together as a church and by some miracle agree on every single point of doctrine From the primaries, to the rapture, to the spiritual gifts, not going to happen, but it could happen by the Holy Spirit's power, we could have all that squared away and still get the mission wrong. We want to get all that right. Our doctrine must be correct. We must be sound in our teaching. We must be building relationships. We have to do programs for outreach and discipleship and building up. But if we do all those things right and still are not going, then all the stuff we're doing right is for no purpose. This is what Tom Rainer called in my first point the omission of the Great Commission. I've just shortened it to the commission omission. The omission omission of the Great Commission, and if the mission of the church, if the mission of the church is the Great Commission, if the mission is the commission, and where we see the omission of the commission, we will eventually see, this is good preacher talk, the remission of the mission. (laughs) You like that? If we omit the commission, we will eventually see the remission of the mission and our church and churches who go down this road will face, ultimately, extinction. No one wants this for their church. None of those deceased churches set out to say, you know what, in the, le- in the next 10 years, let's just kill our church. Over the next generation, let's just drive it into the ground, shut the doors, shut everybody out and let's just close the doors after that. Maybe someone somewhere said that, but I don't think anybody did. No one sets out to ruin their church, but how many churches are guilty of this? The omission of the commission that Jesus gave us. Well, if we don't do it on purpose, if churches don't die on purpose, then what is the reason for this omission? Number one, in some cases, it's apathy. Apathy built into the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, built into that is the primary command to go. The actual phrase, I know I've gone through this with you before, the actual phrase is not that go is a command, but an implication. And that making disciples is the command because the going is implied. As you are going, make disciples. So right there, implied, undergirding the Great Commission Is this command to go? Jesus commanded it. The Holy Spirit made it so. In Acts chapter 2, what do we see? We see 120 disciples cowered down in an upper room, fearing for their lives until the Holy Spirit falls, and what happens? They leave the room. The Holy Spirit comes and they all run out of there, speaking in tongues and proclaiming the goodness of God, and then Peter stands up and preaches the gospel. I said this already in Acts 7 and 8. What happens? But the persecution comes and forces the church, now coward in Jerusalem, to go to the ends of the earth. We see the instinct even there in these first disciples to hunker down, turn inward, build the fortress, get our people together, and not go until the Holy Spirit makes it happen. How often is the same true? True. Of modern-day local churches. How often has the same been true here at First Baptist Dumas? Maybe it's not our mindset now, but what traces, what remnants are still there? Hunker down, circle the wagons, build the fortress, set up the gates. The instinct to stay and do nothing is in every church. The instinct to put up the walls is in every church. But our command and our call is to get out of it. And then, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, isn't that where Jesus said it would come from? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When will you be witnesses? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you have my power, then you will go from here to the ends of the earth. We must be on guard for apathy. Apathy and laziness don't just present themselves in your Sunday school class. A Sunday school teacher, I don't think, would ever stand up and say, let's be lazy and let's not obey the Great Commission. No, it it creeps in, it seeps in. And we wake up and there's no concern for our community. And there's no concern for evangelism. There's no concern for the lost there's no concern for those out there because we've got all we want and need right here. Another reason, I think, for the omission of the commission is ignorance. Ignorance sounds like an insult to someone. You say they're ignorant. It just means they don't know. And that's what I mean, I mean by it here. Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20, Jesus says, Go, and he says what? Make disciples. Disciples means learners, people who are learning something. And then in chapter chapter 28, verse 20, what does he say? Teach them. So if the going is implied, the making disciples part becomes the primary command. As you're going, make learners. And how are you to make learners except that you teach them? This is what we do as we go. We tell them who Jesus is. We tell them what Jesus has done. And then we tell them what the Master said in Luke 9, 23. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. But here are these questions. How can we make disciples? How can we make learners of something we don't know? I saw just a stupid little Facebook video the other day of a-, a man going around to Walmart or something. Offering people a $100 to name five books of the New Testament. Now, I don't know how many people in the store were Christians. I don't know how many people he asked were Christians. All I know is of the 10 that he asked, none even wanted to try. A hundred dollars. Now, I just want to ask you today, if I offered you a hundred dollars, could you name five books of the New Testament off the top of your head? The Old Testament. David, you can't answer. How can we make disciples learners of something we don't know? Either on a basic level, telling them the gospel, or on a deeper level, just basic sound doctrine. The answer is we cannot make learners of something we don't know. So we must first be learners before we go to teach others. So one of the reasons that we don't share our faith or talk about the things of God with others is that we don't really know how to explain it. I mean, we don't really know it for ourselves. This is why, listen, we must make the local church a priority for ourselves and for our families because this is a place to learn and grow in your faith, to be learners, to grow in your knowledge, to be equipped with truth, so that you can then go with truth. Thirdly, one of the reasons that we omit the commission is prejudice. The Great Commission tells us, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, to go, and as you're going, make disciples. Make disciples of who? All the white people, all the Hispanic people, I want you to go and make disciples of people that look like you, talk like you, act like you, eat like you, smell like you. No, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. What did Jesus tell us in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Remember remember the disciples' main concern in Acts 1 verse 6. The disciples' main concern was Israel, the Jews. Us, the clean ones, the chosen ones, us, right? Remember Jesus' response? No, not just you. Everywhere, all people. And as Acts unfolds, we see these tense, sometimes awkward scenarios unfold, don't we? As Philip goes to Samaria. You remember the scandal of Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman? And now this deacon Philip. Not even an apostle, by the way. There's some stuff to be said there, I think. The apostles are all in Jerusalem. And here's Philip, a deacon, going out to preach the gospel to the Samaritans. And they all receive the Holy Spirit just like they did in Acts chapter 2. And they're all flabbergasted. These Samaritans have the same thing that we got. How is that possible? And then Peter, in Acts chapter 10, struggling... With Gentiles coming into the faith, God sends him to the house of not just a Gentile, not just a Roman, but a centurion. And he preaches the gospel to this Gentile dog family. And they all get the Holy Ghost too, just like they did in Acts chapter 2. And Peter and the people say, this is the same thing that happened to us. And now it's Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles. And then it goes to Asia, to Rome, to Spain the same gospel, the same Holy Spirit. But we see Peter still struggles with this. It's interesting that later in the Bible, the book of Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, the apostle Paul has to confront Peter about maybe some lingering prejudice. And Paul calls out Peter, he says, I opposed Cephas, that's the apostle Peter. When he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. Why did he stand condemned? Verse 12. For when certain men came from James, that is the Jews, he was eating with the the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. You know what happened? Peter was sitting and eating with everyone. He was fellowshipping until the Jewish church came to town. And when the Jewish church and the Jewish pastor came, uh, Peter became very much more Jewish again. He, He kind of retracted himself from the Gentiles. He didn't sit with them. He didn't talk with them. And he talked only with the Jews. And here is Paul. He says... You're wrong for that, Peter. And I don't know how this all unfolded. It probably was pretty awkward. But Peter called, or Paul called Peter on it. I presume that Peter understood and repented. But Peter still struggled with this. The church still struggled with it. All the way through Acts chapter 15, they began to understand these Gentiles are coming in. What are we going to do with them? They need to become Jews first, and then, and then they can be Christians? The council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 answers these questions and deals with these early, awkward, tense situations of Jews coming together with Gentiles to worship and pray and be together. The tendency on the part of Christians then was to form sex cliques. I keep saying this phrase, but it's all I can see. Maybe I'm watching too much TV. It's the circling of the wagons. Whether it's the church at Colossae who is uh, given to these sects and factions over visions and dreams and experiences. Maybe it's the church at Ephesus who has this Jew-Gentile problem. Maybe it's the church at Galatia who has the Judaizers who are trying to make Jews out of all the Gentiles and Paul has to correct this. Maybe it's the church at Corinth who values those who can speak over those who cannot speak well or the rich over the poor. What about First Baptist Church Dumas? What about our church? There's a mindset that comes out sometimes. And again, I want to remind you that as I preach this, I have first preached it to myself. But there is a mindset that comes out sometimes from a deep-seated, buried, wicked place in our hearts that says maybe this isn't the town I grew up in. This isn't the city I grew up in. I look around Dumas today and I don't recognize Dumas anymore. Implied in all of that is what we all think is implied in all of that. Tom Rayner reminds us in the autopsy of a, de- a deceased church that for many churches, the good old days, was when the church was part of the community and it reflected the community until the community began to change. And whether this change was ethnic, or racial, or political, or economic, the community changed. And in many cases across our nation, you can go into any big city and see this, when the community changed... The church refused to change, and when the church refused to change, to match the community, that church began to slowly die until they were gone, abandoned, turned into apartments, turned into bars, whatever it is. Jesus says we are to make disciples of all nations, and when we hear that in our modern vernacular, we tend to think that means going to a different country, nations. Jesus didn't mean countries marked off by boundaries. The word means peoples, to make disciples of all peoples. Not just those who look like us, or who talk like us, or who act like us, or who eat like us, but make disciples of all peoples. Today is the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Tomorrow, all around the nation, people celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Whatever we may think of Dr. King as a pastor, his theology was a little wonky. Whatever we may think about his personal life, because there's lots of stories, but frankly, we're able to forgive a lot of those same things in the politicians we agree with, aren't we? Whatever we think of his theology or his personal life, Here was a man who against the world, seemingly, who against all odds, certainly, stood up and spoke out for the rights of our African American and other brothers and sisters. We are not even a generation separated, not yet, from the wickedness of segregation and the demonic power of the Jim Crow laws. We're not a generation separated from that yet. And it might not affect many of us in this room. We look around and we see it might not affect many of us in this room. But for so many of our brothers and sisters, the 60s and the 70s were a time of needed change and needed revolution as people were afforded basic rights according to our Constitution. And we as disciples of Christ... I'm from North Carolina, I'm from the South, I speak about my own people here. Churches, supposed Christians and pastors and theologians lined up with racists to denounce these movements. Christians, believers, churches, pastors lined up to pelt people with eggs and trash and to beat them in the streets. Many ultimately gave their lives for this cause. I think it would behoove us as Christians to stop and to think about the implications of the words of Jesus to make disciples of all people. Here's the wonderful thing about Dumas. You don't have to go much anywhere to meet the nations. I've lived in multiple places, and typically there's a white population and a black population and a very minimal Hispanic population. And it's interesting that I move halfway across the country to the middle of the panhandle in the desert, and here are white people and black people and Africans and people from the Caribbean and Mexico and Central America and South America, Canada, people from all over the place. The nations are here. The nations are all around us. You don't have to pack your bags and answer a call at some altar to be a missionary somewhere to go to the nations. The nations are here if we will just obey Jesus' call to go and to preach the gospel to them. It has been my prayer from day one of coming here, even before, that God would make our church look more like heaven. Interestingly enough, that prayer is also just make our church more like Dumas. Make our church more look like Dumas. Rainer says this in this chapter, when a church ceases to have a heart and ministry for its community, it is on the path toward death. And We have a decision to make this morning. We can hear all this stuff, we can get mad and go to our political corners and pull out our political talking points, but if we're going to obey Scripture, if we disobey Scripture, inevitable death. He says, vibrant and living churches though look after the interests of others. They are concerned for their communities and they open their door for others. What do you and I need to change to be more others focused? What prejudice and cultural idols do we need to put to death in our lives to reach all peoples. This is not a political subject. This is a kingdom subject. Because listen, if in heaven we will gather with people of all races and languages and ethnicities and cultures, and if that's concerning to you here, What does it say about eternity for you? This is a kingdom issue. This is a Great Commission issue. So I ask you a simple question. In your heart, in your spirit, don't shake your heads, don't say yes, because I really want you to think about it. Do you really want to reach our community? Do you want to reach all of our community? Then it will start here with a change in our own hearts and open doors of love. question. Go with what? We go, we're supposed to be going and doing something, but what do we go with? We're supposed to go with the gospel. Jesus says make disciples. Make disciples of who? Jesus. Teaching them about him. We all know Romans ten thirteen. It's part of the Romans road. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise the Lord for that. But Paul goes on to remind us in verse 14, 15, yes, everyone who calls will be saved. But how can they call unless they believe? And how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? If we want to see people call on Jesus to be saved as they come to faith and belief in him, we must ensure that they hear the gospel. And in order to ensure that they hear the gospel, we must proclaim the gospel. See, you see that word preach and you think, well, that gets you off the hook because that's what the preachers do. Word just means to proclaim. You must proclaim the gospel. We must be equipping and sending people from our church with the gospel to the nations to make disciples of Jesus. This is not merely the job of your pastors. This is not merely the job of the church as an organization. It's the job of the church as the people. The Great Commission was not given to full-time pastors. The Great Commission was not given even to full-time missionaries. The Great Commission was given to every single disciple as you go and make more disciples. On your flyer, you'll notice weekly that I've challenged you to talk about your faith. Fun conversations about Christianity or the church, however you can strike them up. Or better yet, pray for God to strike them up for you. To invite people to church, to share the gospel. That as we're building relationships, we're also looking for ways to bring people into the faith. With this end in mind, to bring people to Jesus. Go with what? Go with the gospel. With your mouth to proclaim the good news of Jesus so people can hear and call and be saved. Lastly, the question is how. How are we supposed to do this? By God's power, we're to do this. I sometimes ask a a trick question in our new, new members class. How does the Great Commission begin? And you say, well, we just read it today. It begins, go. It actually begins in Matthew 28, verse 18. When Jesus reminds us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So before he even gives us the commission, he reminds us where the power is coming from. It's not from us. It's from him. He is Lord. He has all the right things we need, the power we need. Not our gimmicks, not our cleverness, not our eloquence, but the power of God alone. And in verse 20, he promises his presence until the job is done. I have all authority. Go, therefore. Teach. Baptize, make disciples, and here's the promise, I am with you until the job is done. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, we looked at this several times too, didn't we? As you go, how are you gonna go except that you have power? And where's the power gonna come from? The Holy Spirit. Did Jesus say to the disciples, hey guys, when you get your programs right, when you can build a good enough building and offer enough stuff and the right music and the right preaching, No, he said when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you will be my witnesses because you will have power to be my witnesses. And what happened as the Spirit fell on those 120 disciples, except they burst out praising God and proclaiming the good news. What happened as the early church faced persecution? They scattered, and in their going, they made disciples because God's Spirit and God's power was at work. And my question for us at First Baptist Church Dumas 2,000 years later is, is do we not want to see that same movement in our church and our community? Is that not our prayer right here and right now? We're trying to get our membership roles cleaned up. That's a good thing. We're trying to get our bylaws to come into alignment with kind of what we're doing already. That's a good thing. We want good programs. We want things to do. We want ministries for the family. Those are all great things. We want and have excellence in our music. We want... Decent preaching most Sunday mornings. We want some excitement in our church, some movement, some stuff. But what good is any of it? As the song says, unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Empowering us to be his witnesses. To go and to make disciples. Ridding us of our prejudice and our ignorance and our apathy. Building us up in him as we then reach out with the gospel. Now, I want you to understand this morning, this starts with the church right now. The faces and the names you already know. Because even within our church, there might be a little bit of an outreach problem. Because you've got your group, your friends, your committee, your people. When you go to events for women, or for children, or for men, or coming together in a worship service, those are the people you go to, you talk to, you build the walls, you put up the gates, and nobody else. Look around the room today and see faces and names you don't know. Make it a priority by the end of this week and next week to know those names, to know those faces. Maybe in that quarterly challenge to invite those people to your home to get to know them better. Don't just come into this church to your spot, to your family, to your people. Look for others. And as we're learning and growing and building up here, teaching and preaching and learning together, then as we're equipped, let us go from this place to all peoples with this gospel. Here's a statement I can say in confidence as we close today. If we will... By God's power obey him. This is simple. If we will by God's power obey him in our going and our making disciples and our teaching, we will see God's power unleashed. The Bible promises us this. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's not going to save everybody. They're going to say it's foolish, it's stupid, who needs it? And they're not going to believe. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God to salvation. And if we will be faithful to that word and that gospel and that commission, we will be a healthy, growing, vibrant church as we see God's work in Dumas as maybe we never have before. In your heart, answer this question, do you want that? Do you pray for that? Then hear me say today, there's work to do. Let's ask for God's help. Let's ask for his power. For the sake of his gospel, for the sake of his church, and for his great glory. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the great commission. She did not leave us not knowing what to do. You didn't leave us not knowing how to do it. But she told us to go. To make learners. To baptize them and to teach them. To build each other up even as we reach out. And so God, whatever challenges we face as Christians, whatever challenges we face as a church body today, I ask that you would meet those with your power, and your mercy and your grace for us. That our church might be more spirit-filled, that we might look more like heaven, that we might look more like our community, And she would open our hearts and our walls and our doors to go with the love and the compassion and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.